Hey everyone, it's Henry, Mike, and Jeff of The Decentralists, and we've got another hot topic. Identity is a ticking time bomb. You see, we talk a lot about digital identity on The Decentralists. You know, what is identity? What makes identity self-sovereign? Why is decentralized identity better than centralized, like those offered by single sign-on? This week, we talk about another important risk of centralized identity the linking of personally identifiable data, also known as PII. So to put this important issue into context, I'm going to mention a couple of interesting examples that just happened this week in the news. Number one, Brian Barrett from Wired reported on the new dangers resulting from a breach of up to 100 million user records. T-Mobile. Can you believe that? Jeez. Um, yeah. Uh, and secondly, Kim Lyons from The Verge reported that Tinder is going to start offering identity verification to its users. So, I mean, these two reports certainly don't appear similar to me, but we're going to do our best to explain how they are and why, you know, you should be worried about your digital identity. So, Mike... Jeff, can you refresh our minds on what we mean by linking identifiers? I can take that if you want, Henry. It has to do with what are known as primary keys. So putting on a bit of a geeky database hat for a minute. Um, let's say that I have a, a bunch of data about you, uh, including your phone number, but I don't have your address. Mm -hmm. And in another database... I have an address with a phone number, but I don't have a name. Well, I can key those two together based on that phone number, and now I have a complete data record for you. Mm. And if I have another data set with your phone number that has your height and weight and shoe size, then I can add that to the mix as well. Oh, of course. So once you have all of these disparate databases with your identity in them, with bits and pieces of your identity scattered all over the place. If I have a key, then I can start linking those different data sets together and build a, a richer and richer profile about you. And that is the danger here. So whether it is your phone number, whether it is your IMEI, which is the unique identifier stamped into your handset, that lives with it forever, oh. whether it's your social security number or social insurance number, whether it's your driver's license number, these are all pieces of data that can be used as primary keys to, to link all these disparate data sets together. Okay, so when you consider that, um, I mean, we, we log into dozens, if not hundreds, of, of services and websites over the period of a week, and all the information we put up there if someone were to collate that, uh, they'd have just about everything about me. Right. So the first thing, okay, I want to clarify, just to give T-Mobile a bit of a break, it was only 48 million records. <laughs> so, wait, wait, that's more than the population of Canada. Yeah, uh, well, you know, you know, I do want to add a couple of other little flavors to this. So the first thing is, and this is just kind of the lunacy of this data breach, they estimate that 40 million of those 48 million records are not T-Mobile customers. What? Seriously. So 
they, they basically have, they have, they had a, for a while, I guess, or maybe they still do, they had a T-Mobile MasterCard, you know, like these white labeled credit cards. Yeah, yeah. And they took applications from, you know, a whole bunch of people that they never, ever approved. Oh. And, 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 and I mean, think about it, right? I mean, the data that you give your mobile company when you sign up for a new phone is, 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 is bad, but it's not as much as you give a bank who's giving yeah. you a credit card. Yeah. Right. And, and then they also had a bunch of people who had signed up for services, like were used to be, used to be T-Mobile customers or had bought like a prepaid SIM or something like that. They had all their data too. Mm. Okay. So that's the, it's, it's lunacy why you would have data on somebody that's not a customer. I mean, you know, it's, it's lunacy. Um, but the second piece that, that, and, and what I found the most intriguing about this article was that, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about, when we talk about data breaches and they seem to happen every week, which is, which should literally scare the crap out of all of us, but instead I think we're all just numb, yeah. but these breaches happen every week. And, and a lot of the focus is on, you know, things like identity theft and, and all of these types of things. Okay. But with, with, with Jeff's previous comment. Okay. What you basically have in these breaches, and this is what Brian pointed out about what I liked about his view in this article is the data that was being breached and, and up for sale on the dark web. Okay. Was, had, was way, way more invasive because of all of the linked data that Jeff just talked about. Oh. People don't generally talk about that. So he said, you know, one of the problems with this is, is there's something like 20 million records that have a name, an address, a credit card number, and a PIN number. Right? And okay, let's face it. Anybody here, put up your hands if you've used the same PIN number on your bank card as you use any other place where you get like your new SIM. Oh yeah, so five hundred thousand people have done that at least. Well, it's probably twenty million or something. But the point <laughs> is, is you know, but the point is, is that now you have a PIN number, right? Which is another crazy identifier, right? That can now, now all of a sudden, to Jeff's point, if they some in some other database, some hacker stole your a Mastercard number, right? That with a with a phone number, and they can now attach that to this T-Mobile account. They now have the PIN to your Mastercard. So. And they also have these IMEIs. So I'm I'm a T I'm a T-Mobile customer. I have an iPhone. I go out and I decide to switch to Verizon. Well, because T-Mobile has my IMEI number, that means that even if I'm on Verizon using the same handset, these guys can can spoof that handset and use it to do like SMS-based phishing attacks or hijack your account. Or do any of these things. Oh, my goodness. And so it's all of these extra little subtle things, right? That when you sit there and you're like, okay, wait a second. So if I, Henry, if I had your name, date of birth, address, telephone number, oh. IMEI, stop, stop. credit card, PIN number, how hard is it for me to impersonate you? Okay. And so, so really what you're talking about is, let's say, on the dark web, these essentially criminals, these hackers, all they have to do is like buy six databases that have been hacked and then mm -hmm. spend a month collating them and they have everything on everybody. Well, and this is the point, right? It's the dark web. That data is for sale. That's the whole point. 
right? And and I mean, let's let's put in another little subtle thing, right? I mean, typically the the most prescient example of all of this data being aggregated and used in a visible way against you is social media. Of course. I mean, Zuckerberg is just like a hacker on the on the light web instead of the dark web. <laughs> you know, I mean, what's the difference? If I if I'm a hacker and I go out and I, or I'm just a regular human being with nothing more to do but I'm a computer guy. I go to the dark web and I buy the last five data breaches. I buy the 500 million Facebook records that were out about a month ago. I buy the 48 million T-Mobile ones and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I use an, an algorithm to, you know, roll in and analyze this stuff and link it all together. I'm essentially, I can replicate what Zuckerberg has. Huh. It's the same thing. Wow. Okay. So, so I understand the severity and what's happening here with the T-Mobile. But Jeff, why is Tinder offering to validate their user's identity? Now, Tinder is a dating app, if I'm not mistaken. What's this all about? Well, it has to do with the fact that uh, when you are dating people, if you're serious about wanting a relationship, uh, which is not the case with everybody on Tinder. Some people <laughs> on Tinder want a relationship that lasts four hours or less uh, and between consenting or less, but between consenting adults, you know, that's perfectly fine. Um, but some people who are looking for a relationship and are putting a lot of energy into this want to ensure or say they want to ensure that if they spend two hours chatting with somebody online who says that he's a, 35-year-old guy who worked as an accountant in downtown Vancouver uh, isn't actually some 60-year-old or Costanza, <laughs> sure, George Costanza. The architect. I'm afraid we're dating ourselves with our younger listeners with that reference, Henry. Totally. Um, but, uh, you know, he isn't some, you know, older dude in some basement in the Ukraine uh, who's just playing that lonely hearts. So Tinder wants to say, if you're going to put your energy into our site uh, and look for love and look for someone to spend the rest of your life with, you can trust, you can trust us that all these people that we are presenting to you are who they say they are and are the age that they say they are uh, and so on. Well, how would they do it? And we can joke about George Costanza, but I might add that it can can go in the other direction. Um, as a, as a male, um, you know, I'm constantly bombarded by all of this spam from all of these, you know, pretty women, allegedly pretty women that are uh, they want to meet you, Jeff. Special friends, right? And it's just a lot of time and energy and nonsense. So, so this is. Uh, this is the root of all of this validation of user's identity is to say, hey, if you click on Steve or you click on Jane, they are who they say they are. But hey, let's let's face it. What Tinder is also saying by this, okay, is they've created a platform where there are no curbs on fake accounts, right? There is no, nothing stopping somebody from saying they're single when they're married, or saying that they're 35 when they're 55. Or there's nothing stopping that a, a bot, right, from using a photo and creating a personality to, to lure these lonely hearts. Well, and, how and, they're, they... and by doing this, they're turning it around and trying to make it seem like it's the user's fault that all of these fake accounts exist, right? 
Yes, and and the 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 problem with this is basically saying, give us all this PII so that people that are looking for love can trust that profiles are who the say are who they say they are. And PII is personally identifiable information. Yes. Thank you for that. Right. So, so it's give us all your private data so that if you create a profile, the people looking at it can, can feel comfortable that you are who you say you are. Well, if the people looking at these profiles would just apply 10 seconds of common sense, <laughs> then, then this problem would go away. Right. If, uh, you know, if, if some guy is George Costanza at age 60, um, and he's getting messaged by a, a 22-year-old college girl saying, hey, I'm looking for love. I, I'm, it's tragic, and I'm sorry to say this, but uh, you know, it's 99.9% the case that this is fake. Yes. Um, and, right. you know, and, and so if you can just apply a little common sense as you navigate these sites, I don't think if, – if the user base applied a little common sense navigating these sites, then I don't think – Tinder and others would feel the pressure to create or to require, um, you know, the release of all of this, this PII. Um, and on top of that, if you do create a fake account and then you go out and, and actually meet this person and you are six year old George Costanza, not some 35 year old architect, well, you've just gone and wasted your and everybody else's time. So, right. Okay. What problem are they trying to solve here, I guess, is the question. Well, Mike, tell me, how are they planning to validate identity? Okay, so this, this is kind of, the, this is kind of the, the, the meat of this story, okay? Because to me, when you look at PII, personally identifiable information, okay, think of dating sites. So anybody who's listening, if you're on a dating app or have ever used one, Okay, think of what data you put into a dating app versus the data you put into, say, Uber. Right? So you're, you know, you're, it's bad enough that there's databases of things like name, email, credit card. Okay, but now you've given, you've, you give these dating sites like, you know, the, the, your favorite color, your birthday, your, your, you know, um, they have a record of what kind of people you click on. Right? You know, do you like blondes or brunettes, yeah. right? Male or female, things like this, right? And, and, and they basically have, they know when you go on dates, they know where you go on dates, oh, right? And there's All your sexual preferences. They know everything, right? So they're, you're giving even more kind of closely personal PII, okay? And so now, but the dating app's problem is that they've got people who are, let's say, legitimate users, and they're having these experiences that Jeff describes with George Costanza. And they're saying, I, what are you going to do about it, Tinder? So what Tinder's been doing since about 2019 in Japan, they've been piloting this validation. And so what they will literally do, and I'm not kidding, is if you're on Tinder and somebody says, I'll only date, I'll only go out with you if you validate, then you need, you need to take a digital copy of your driver's license and or your passport. Come on. No, I'm serious. And you send it to Tinder and Tinder will match it up against your profile, right? Check the birth dates and all that stuff and give you like a check mark that says that you've, your identity has been validated. Oh, 
This is a dating site. Are you out of your mind? You're going to give them your passport and your driver's license? Are people actually doing this? Apparently they have been. Well, or, and, but what would your choice be, Henry? If you're George Costanza and, you're, and you want to go and you, you believe that the 20-year-old uh, you know, girl who's looking for love is actually a 20-year-old girl looking for love, and she says, I want to know that you're validated before I date you, what are you going to do? Well, well, uh, well, hold on. Hold on a second. Dating, dating apps. Isn't most of the information that people put in either a very, very, very perfect version of them or not even accurate at all? So how can you believe if you're, someone's going to validate something that isn't even real? Well, but, but this, is, this is the other point. Okay, so let's say you go ahead and do this. Let's say you're fine. You've given up everything. They know you, everybody knows you've got, you like pistachio ice cream and long walks on the beach. All right. And now you've gone out and you've added your passport or your driver's license, right? Like two of the most important identifiers, right? Like my passport's locked up in a little box. You yeah, know what I mean? Fundamental. Totally. And, 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 and so, you know, you, you've just given that up to a dating site to potentially hook up. And what does it actually tell the other person, right? Like what problem does it solve? If what I'm concerned about, like the only thing it does potentially is, is validate the age of that person, right? That's it. Well, maybe the picture, well, sort of. Right. Yeah, but who knows, right? I mean, passports are 10 years, are 10 years old now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so like the idea is, okay, so now you know that I am actually, you know, 35 or 45 or 55. Great. Does that tell you that I'm actually a married guy and, and pretending I'm single? Yeah, yeah. Does it tell or, you or, that or I'm a criminal record? Does it tell you that I've got a criminal record? Does it tell you that I said I'm an arch a 35 year old architect and I'm a 35 year old janitor? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't tell you anything about me. So one thing I would argue that it does is it perhaps purges some of the scammers from the site. Mm. Where if I am going to, mm. you know, if I'm going to turn around and ask for money or hey, honey, send me your credit card number and I'll send you some pictures or any of these kind of things likely, you know, if there's a, if there's a correct connect the dots path to criminality um, it, it might scare them away That's a, a little bit. Mm -hmm. But again, if people on these sites, you know, and I'll say it, we're all men, particularly men, we're an idiots. Um, then, <laughs> then that, you know, then that wouldn't be necessary. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when my inbox fills with this barrage of nonsense, um, from Paulina and all these people, I just press delete because, yes, yes. you know, I live in, I live in reality and I know how yeah. the world actually works. So it might be the case Two two parts of this. First of all, part one might be just a little bit of education of the users to how to spot when you're, you know, I'm sorry, you're lonely, but you're being scammed. And second of all, uh, you know, a little bit of thought to these algorithms, which would say, Hey, this profile doesn't appear legitimate, and this person is targeting all of these people uh, in in a peculiar way outside of the demographic. Right. Right. Compare yeah. that with a young woman at college who's messaging young men at college that happen to be studying in the same faculty. You know, doing this anonymously, of course, you know, without asking for real names or whatever. But but you can say, okay, that's legit. Um, so they could. You know, they could approach it in a less brute force fashion if they, you know, if they were yeah. to choose. But they also don't want the bad press of people saying, you know, 
Right. I logged on to Tinder and I fell in love with this girl and it turns out she was a scammer in Russia. Um, right. So they're, they're trying to play all these games. Okay, so would you say that dating apps are more dangerous when it comes to our identity or sharing uh, private information than other types of services that we use? They are if we get into what we were talking about earlier about linking identifiers, right? right. So if, for example, um, I had, had uploaded this information to a dating app um, and it was in turn, and it was breached and then that data was linked to a breach in a ride hailing app. And now, Hey, the system has my address um, and, you know, shady character can come and bang on the door um, mm -hmm. of a, of a, a woman and, and that sort of thing. I yes. think that's, that's certainly where, where part of that risk lies is in the, in the linking of identifiers between these disparate databases during breaches. Yeah. And of course you're going to be giving a dating app things like the fact that you may be homosexual. And of course there are jurisdictions and mm -hmm. countries where that is a crime. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I guess I answered my own question there. <laughs> okay, so so we are the decentralists. How would a decentralized identity help break the link between our identity and our access to online services like dating? I'll give you a really easy way to think about it. Okay, if the, the way that the, the the problem with the identity and access in things like Tinder and stuff, okay, is that in order to create your identity and then all of these links that go to it, you use Tinder's um, kind of login system, right? So mm -hmm. Tinder says you need to have a username and a password. And so that's the first step, right? You, have, you enter a username and a password, and then you enter all that personal data in their environment, right? And it's that username and password thing that is the first and easiest link that they can use to pin all this data together when they have all this disparate information, right? If Tinder has, if your username, like think of WhatsApp, it's your phone number, right? So they, that's, a, that's the first link. So these usernames and passwords, email address and password, whatever it is, is the first link through. And now you, that is the common thread. If that thread disappeared, right? So somebody had a database that had your phone number, right? But that phone number was attached to some encrypted nonce or certificate, like something that wasn't linked, like it wasn't your email, right? It right. was no way that that particular database could be linked to you as a person. And then another database had the phone number and the credit card. They still couldn't link it to who it was. If you were the one that was initiating the connection to these services, and then you were deciding, I am not you know, I will validate my, my, I can give Tinder my driver's license or whatever to validate. And they'll have that if they validate my age and then they should be deleting that data, but it doesn't have to be associated to me. Right. And that's the problem. It's that, it's that, you know, all of these services have been built around a certain identifier that is easily linked to a real human being, a telephone number, an email address. Those are the two identifiers that most of us have been carrying for multiple years. Yeah. Right? I mean, my phone number has been the same for at least 10 or 15 years. My email ad has been the same since 2004. So any database that has those two pieces of information in it 
can be can now be linked all over to each other. If not, if neither of those two things existed, if I had some other way to say, here's how you email me or here's how you call me, then none of that stuff would be as big of a problem as it is today. Understood. Exactly right. And I'll add to that and having the ability to break that link at any time. Exactly. So being able to just, you know, snap that like a twig and now that that connection no longer exists. Now, what do you mean by snap it like a twig? How, how can that be? Well, right now, if you have a connection via your phone number, you cannot, uh, you cannot throw away, well, you, you can throw away your phone number, but it's terribly inconvenient. It is. Um, but if you have a connection between your ManyOne digital ID and ah. something else, um, then the very nature of that ManyOne connection, the, it's designed so that you can build out your network, but also disconnect your network right. quickly and easily yep. if you choose to do so. And that that is that decentralized digital identifier that's that's available to you for that purpose. Makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. I never thought I'd actually be hosting a podcast regarding Tinder and identity, but uh, stranger things have happened. And they probably will continue. Oh, they certainly will. Thank you very much, Mike. And thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good day. Thank you, gentlemen. 